six mm-hmm. years of being married to you. Mm-hmm. And I am just now discovering that you flip to the middle of a notebook and just write on any old page you want. Because if it's a random thing, it makes sense. No, if- it doesn't. Because you don't then rip out the page and throw it away. Or, like, move along with your day with your little paper note. Like, you just leave it in the book. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 11 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is called The Duffel Puds Made Happy. I am a potty mons with a bright red hat, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I am a tall frosty glass of lemon squash, Ooh. also known as Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey. <laughs> you got excited by that one. <sighs> so, Chris, tell mm-hmm. us more about your feelings about this chapter. Oh, this whole episode's gonna be my feelings about this chapter. And how and 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 how we are now three chapters into the island of the of the money puds and we still have not encountered a lord. Yep. In our journey. To find the lords. Yeah, I guess we should start off with the summary and then I can dive into all my rants about Absolutely. this chapter. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive in then. Uh, when we are reading the chapter, Chris and I each will select five sentences from the chapter in an attempt to summarize the chapter with the chapter's own words. So uh, would you like to go first? Sure. I'll go ahead and tackle this first. So my summary is as follows. <clears throat> I call all time soon said Aslan, and instantly he was vanished away, and Lucy was alone with the magician. There was nothing alarming about him, and Lucy and he were soon chatting away like old friends. I made the duffers into monopods, said the magician. And before everyone went to bed that evening, something else happened which made them even more satisfied with their one-legged condition. But the magician could tell them nothing about seas or lands further east. Okay. So, there you go. There you go. And here is my summary. Sure. Lucy followed the great lion out into the passage, and at once she saw coming toward them an old man, barefoot, dressed in a red robe. All times may be soon to Aslan, but in my house, all hungry times are one o'clock. Are they as stupid as all that? asked Lucy. The magician sighed. There was a most friendly parting, and when she sailed two hours afternoon, all the duffel puds paddled out with her to the harbor mouth and cheered until she was out of sound of their cheering. I'm curious as to why you included the line about the uh, all hungry times being one o'clock and why that was an important part of your summary. Because I did not want to include Aslan saying all times are soon to me, and so this is all times may be soon to Aslan, but... Okay. Also, it shows the magician more as like a kindly, like I'm gonna I'm gonna feed you if you're hungry kind of person, as opposed to like, it, it's just a shift in like the presentation of the magician that we've had thus far is very tyrannical. Yes, and this is very much like, <laughs> well, if you're hungry, it must be one o'clock and time for some tea. Let's go eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as much as I hate this chapter, and, and hate it like just for what it turns the previous two chapters into as well and just this whole <laughs> section of the book uh, i do think there's a f- uh, a number of really interesting things in here and there's a massive tonal shift and i i think especially the interactions between aslan and karayak and the magician are really interesting to dive into and so let's let's go ahead and, and just jump in here okay so the chapter opens by them meeting Koryakin. Yes. The old magician. Now, I had made a joke in one of the previous episodes about this possibly being Santa's summer home. Uh-huh. And the first time that I ever read this, I distinctly remember Koryakin being introduced with this red robe. 
mm-hmm. and thinking that maybe he was Santa. That was a thought of mine as well. But then Lucy has met Father Christmas before and would have recognized him had it been the same person. Yeah, probably. So <clears throat> this is a different uh, red-robed old man entirely. Yeah. Narnia. You know, the, the world of Narnia is just full of these guys. Yep. So we meet Cryakin, and he's very humble and says, you know, welcome, sir, to the least of your houses. See, I Iceland. pronounced it Coriakin or something like that in my head. Hmm. I thought Coriakin. I don't know. If any listeners know how it's actually pronounced. I'm, I'm sure somebody does. We would love to talk to you, C.S. Lewis. Um, well, they did make a movie about this one, so. Yeah. They decided on a pronunciation for the film. They did decide. So, the first thing that Aslan says to Karayakin, I think, is particularly interesting. Yes. Where he says, Do you grow weary of ruling such foolish subjects as I have given you here? So that's a very loaded statement. Yeah. And I feel like we should dive into that. So we established several things, and this one we established his name is Kryakin. Yep. Uh, we established that he's been put in power by Aslan. Yep. This is, uh, we've established that Aslan thinks the Duffers are foolish. Yes. And, you know, when when God himself is calling you stupid, like, wow, there, <laughs> there's something there. And I thought that was an interesting, not necessarily character shift for Aslan, but it's a dimension we haven't seen before where he's, we don't usually see him as being judgmental unless people are being cruel or evil or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but also at the same time, this is the same Aslan who, when Trumpkin doubted him, picked him up and threw him in the air and caught him like he was a, a ball of yarn mm-hmm. and Aslan was a kitty cat. Like, yeah. so... It is something that I feel like doesn't fall outside, like, the the character that we've created of Aslan in the extended descriptions of him. Mm-hmm. Like, if this was just Aslan from book one, I would probably agree with you that this doesn't make sense as Aslan's character. But this is also Aslan that we've encountered in Prince Caspian. Yeah. Throwing Trumpkin in the air. So... I feel like this is a progression of Aslan's character, which if we read the books in publishing order, Mm -hmm. we would be getting a little more understanding of it. Like, Mm -hmm. we have Aslan as savior, then we have Aslan as, like, silent leader, goofy guy, and, like, Bacchus friend. Uh And then we have Aslan here as, like, how do you like your dumb subjects? You know, like... Without the interruptions of the other books, th- this is an interesting progression of, like, understanding of Aslan. Yeah. And as much as I don't ever want to, to read anything about the Doppelpods ever again, because <laughs> we've already spent way too much time on it, I do kind of want some backstory here. Because you mean the Duffers. Yeah, That's... the Duffers. Because one of my first questions about this was, we've established kind of the realm of Narnia I think we've established it at least as a place that, you know, we were there for the creation of. And Aslan has come in and very much, uh, you know, mostly handcrafted this world. Yes, which at this point, that book hasn't been published. Correct. Uh, And, you know, except for random pirates that found their way in from Earth, uh, pretty much everything here has in some way been sprung forth by Aslan or like the old magic from the Emperor Across the Sea, etc., etc. Yeah. So why is there just these race of dwarves sorry, spoilers, uh, that have lived in this world that were just stupid. Like, I don't know. I guess we there's when all the animals are created and we have, like, the talking beasts and then we have the lowly dumb beasts. Yeah. And there's, like, a, a distinction there. So does this work the same way with, like, humanoid critters? Like, do we, you know, in Narnia, we all already have the distinction between, like, the good dwarves and the bad dwarves. So somewhere across the ocean, do we also have the stupid dwarfs? It does seem that way. I mean, they're dwarf-like. They're not described as being actual dwarves. Not like your Narnian dwarves, is what he says. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're dwarf-like. So they're described as being dwarf-like uh-huh. um, prior to their uglification. But they're also very stupid. And like we finally find out why it is that the magician had turned them into duffel po- into monopods, mm-hmm. which is what their uglification was. 
Because Lucy asks, are you going to unuglify them now? And he goes, oh, well, that's a delicate question. Let's talk about that. Well, uh, we'll get there. I, I would disagree with you that we found out that we find out why in the first place. Uh, however, uh, I think there's one more point that I wanted to spend time on in this line. <clears throat> okay. Where Aslan has given this magician charge over these stupid creatures. Yes. Who Aslan is judging and being like, you get tired of it yet? Yeah, I know. They're hard to deal with. And it, like, even Aslan uh, says a little bit later... Yeah, no, I dare not show them my form like they couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So he cares. Yes. There's also, like, a moment in what the magician is saying, though, where he says something along the lines of, like, waiting until they can be governed by reason rather than magic tricks. Yes. And so he's obviously attempting to nurture these creatures into, like... A better understanding of reason and str- like how how to govern themselves mm-hmm. because he tells them like he tells lucy that he's attempts to like get the duffers to tend the gardens mm-hmm. and the duffers assume that they're doing it for the magician but all he does is drink wine and eat bread. He's not eating all of the food. He's got his magic to provide himself with food. Yeah. He's trying to get the duffers to grow food for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they don't get it. Yeah. Like they don't understand. They feel subjugated by him, but they're going to just starve to death if he doesn't make them garden. Is kind of like a, a, the understanding that we're presented with of the duffers by the magician. Which brings up an interesting question of chronology to where, you know, have the magician and the duffers always coexisted together? Or were the duffers here first and the magician came in later? In which case, how were the duffers surviving before Karayakin got there? Well, the way that Aslan says it makes it seem like Karayakin came here to oversee the duffers like Aslan created the duffers for Karayakin to monitor. Mm-hmm. Like, like he's already had other projects that he worked on, and Aslan was like, oh, I've got another one for you. I'm going to give you some dumb people on this island. Yeah. yeah. You, you good to go? Because I'll, I'll put them there, but you're going to need to get there today because they'll starve mm-hmm. without you. Yeah. Uh, and I have some more speculation there, but that's baseless, and we're going to go into that uh, later at the end. So uh, we'll move on from this line. Because I want to talk about another line that Aslan says, which I think is one of these things that sounds really cool, but I don't know if it means anything. Uh-huh. And he, he's talking about not showing himself, himself to the duffers and says, many stars will grow... Let me see if I can say that correctly. <laughs> L, L sounds are hard for me. Yeah. Many stars will grow old and come to take their rest in islands before your people are ripe for that. And that line stood out to me. Yeah. And... The stars taking their rest in islands. Their stars taking their rest in islands because this is a story about islands. Yeah. And so what does this mean? It means that we've encountered islands where stars have come to rest. It means that we might? Um, I don't know. No. Because a... in, in the books thus far, even in, in chronology, we've encountered the the stars being used as kind of like predictive... The, the centaurs read the stars. Mm-hmm. And so we have the stars, the Knight of Caspian, running away from Raz. And so the stars have kind of been presented as at least fate, like, references, if not actual, like, god figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of the stars coming to rest in the islands, I don't, I don't know what that's intended to mean, but it is a very interesting image. Yeah. What What do you think of it? Like, what it obviously inspired you in some way. It did, and I, I I want to do more research into other people's takes on this because I can't get anything out of it. Uh, it, it seems out of place from the rest of the lore we've established, and I don't know. Uh, it's not something I want to spend a ton of time on because there's other stuff to talk about in this chapter. But it, I I did think that was of note. Yeah. Uh, but then, so Aslan takes off, disappears. And then Lucy and Karaya can get all sad, and Karaya can 
reiterates the point that Aslan isn't a tame lion. You can't keep him around. And this is a a running theme throughout the books where specifically somebody's like Aslan isn't a tame lion. Yeah. And we've addressed this before, but I'm curious if at this point there is a, if there's a specific viewpoint that Lewis is arguing against here. What is Lewis fighting against? Yes. There's definitely, like, some... I don't know. I feel like it's just this idea of, like, Jesus overturning the tables in the temple and, like, Christianity and, like... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just feel like also this idea of, like, God revealing himself in nature, like, that's not tame. Like, I don't know. These are the things that come to mind immediately. Yeah. And... This is this is one of those parts where I am uh, not quite upset, but I'm disappointed that I don't have more of a background in like the history of Christianity in Europe, as, you know, in the you know post Enlightenment period of like the the early 1800s through like the mid 1900s, and that's a that's a, a major gap in my knowledge. Major because gap. I feel like Lewis isn't responding to something like know the the modern american like prosperity gospel of like oh jesus is just like a dancing pony that you can like you know teach to do tricks for you and like that's that's it's a bit too early for that and and for him to make a response to that kind of thing yeah and so is there was there something going on in england at this time post-war that he's directly calling out well, I mean, I feel like we post, to... post-war, you're definitely going to have lots of, like, God-ordained this victory for us and stuff like that. You're definitely mm-hmm. going to have lots of that kind of, we won because God. Yeah. Because we triumphed over evil or whatever. Right. I don't know. So I'd, I'd want to, at some point before we end this whole series, I'd like to do some work into that. And I feel like at the end of the, when we get finished at the last book, we should do an entire episode just on the views of Lewis as expressed throughout the series. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so then we have this conversation between Lucy and Karaikin and they talk about, you know, the magic book and the magician's life here. Yeah. And, and, and the magician asks, did you like my book? And she says, oh yeah, parts of it very much. Mm-hmm. So she really liked that refreshment of the spirit thing, but that we've established that at least for for the purposes of of Lucy reading it, this mm-hmm. book was written by the magician. It's yes. his book. Yep, it's his magic spells that he's created. So some interesting, like not quite good spells in there that he's. But then that leads me into this idea of this being like your tree of knowledge, mm-hmm. where okay. the duffers went up and read from the book of the knowledge. And separated themselves from the magician. And Lucy's coming in here in this Jesus motif, being the sacrificial fulfillment of the prophecy or whatever, and reuniting the duffers with that which governs them. I can't curse in this podcast. (laughs) I wanted to because I think you're onto something and I didn't get there at all. Yeah. So do you have do you have some do you have some more to expand on there? You just wanted to throw that bomb out there. I wanted to throw it. that bomb out there. I mean, I have more evidence to support it. Okay. But um, beside, like, among among my reasons for supporting it, we have like the the magician himself stating that he knew Lucy would be coming to lift the invisibility, mm-hmm. and. It's very much in the same vein of Aslan saying he follows his own rules when he's like, yeah, no, they they also made me invisible. So, you know, oh, well, but I knew you would be coming. Maybe you can influence them in some way. Yeah. So what are your thoughts in response to that besides frustration? Well, now you're making me think, is there... Everything is a Jesus metaphor. If yes. I, ju- I can make it almost anything <laughs> a, a Messiah metaphor. But is there some sort of parallel then between the previous chapter where Aslan shows up and is just like, yeah, I was invisible, I follow my own rules, and in this chapter where he's like, no, they're not ready to see me? Well, I think that... 
we all even have the temptation of Lucy in her Jesus metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, are we the duffel puds? Are we, we are. too stupid and we've made Jesus invisible because we we're not ready to see him? We are not ready to see him. Um, yeah, I think that that's a big part of what it is kind of like establishing this idea of not being ready for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I I get that. I agree with that. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have, again, I'm fixated on, like, the, the figure of the magician. And we have Karayak in here, who seems, uh, you you went to, like, Father Christmas. The character that I think he most reminded me of was in Horse and His Boy, the weird old hermit. Yeah. That lives out in the middle of the woods with his fancy pool. Yeah. And, like, that's what it brought to mind. And just, like... This idea of, you know, scattered around the world. There are these powerful old men all keeping everything together. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say. It's always magic old men. Yep. It's always magic old men. Yeah. Gandalf. <laughs> Santa. Yeah. Which, uh, which, which in Lord of the Rings, there's a lore explanation for why they're old men, but. Why? So I don't, I, I, it's been a while since I read the Silmarillion, so forgive me. Lord of the Rings people, but I, re- I remember uh, it being something along, along the lines of the wizards had to appear as old men in order to, like, basically it was a humility thing to not get full of themselves. All right. And they had to appear to other people as being weak or more incapable. Yeah. Because if they were to reveal themselves in their full glorious form, it would be too easy for them to just accept worship and... Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, maybe Karayakin's, like, magicked himself to appear more humble than he actually is. Uh, so anyway, then he makes a delicious meal. He, he makes a feast happen completely magically. And, you know, if I had any kind of magic powers, that would be, like, at the top of my list. <laughs> like, feasts on demand of uh, piping hot omelets and cold lamb. Never had cold lamb before. I mean, I don't know very... if I'd be into it, but... He very specifically creates for Lucy food from her home. Like, yeah, that would be more... Strawberry ice and lemon squash and a cup of chocolate to follow. Ooh, there you go. That cup of chocolate, though. Mm-hmm. Magician himself drank only wine and ate only bread, though. Yep. Is this a communion reference? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it is, especially mm-hmm. when we've already established all of the other Im- imagery in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Cool. But yeah, I made I made note of that as well as a communion reference. Yeah, so he takes communion, and then we establish that the duffer is visible again. And then we come to another... Look, I feel like there's a lot of meat in this chapter to dive into as much as I hate it. We yeah. come to this question of Lucy being like... Uh, are you going to turn you, the gonna... duffers back to what yeah. they were? Yeah, well, you make them uh, like they were before, and he's just like, oh, that's a rather delicate question. It's only they who think they were so nice to look at before. And we don't ever get to the point where he really gives us a why. Because, as we establish later in the chapter, like, he has effectively crippled these things. It's like, he, they yes, were very... But, but what we're talking about was, what, they, what it was that they were disobedient about mm-hmm. was they wanted to go all the way up to the spring to get water instead mm-hmm. of getting water from where the river ran through their town. Mm-hmm. And so instead of traveling farther to get water and bring it back and spilling the water on their way back, he's asking them to do less work, mm-hmm. to go less distance, uh-huh. and to spill less water by getting the water from the town. So what he did was he hit them in the spot that would make that an e- an easier thing. Like, okay, so if you're going to go all the way to the spring to get water, I'm going to make you have to jump the whole way. Mm-hmm. So that when you get back, there is literally no water left in your bucket. Yeah. So that you have to go to the spring here. You're going to get just as much water at the end of your trip from the river here instead of going to the spring. Mm-hmm. Because now you have to jump. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're still getting water. Yeah. And your, your, you know, your punishment was mm-hmm. that now you have to do it this way or whatever. Yeah. I guess if we're, if we're leaning really hard into 
like the whole maybe Garden of Eden metaphor. Yeah. Where like we have the book and the tree of knowledge that they, you know, erroneously read from. Is the uglification a metaphor for mortality? I mean... Where this is the punishment of Adam and Eve for reading from the from eating from the tree where they are no longer immortal they've been giving mortal lives to toil and work and i would say that it's less about mortality and more like it's more about the duffers i don't know seeing seeing wisdom i guess like Uh hey i told you to do it this way you didn't do it this way now i'm gonna make it even harder for you to do it the way you wanted to Uh uh-huh like, if you're not going to listen to me when I give you advice, I'm going to make your way impossible. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, it, yeah, I think it could be worth diving into um, on another podcast. <laughs> I guess I just want to get through this chapter. Um, and the Chief Duffer, as we established, is very conceited, and he taught the rest of them to be as well. Yeah, well, so the, uh... they're all very agreeable creatures, like, and they'll agree with just about anything, and it's the chief duffer that has kind of led them astray. Yes. But they admire him, and they don't admire the magician, so it's good that they admire somebody. Yeah. But we, we also never establish here why the chief duffer seems to have, like, a a higher ability to have creative thought than all the rest of them do. It's like he he is capable of like because he has a red hat and the magician has a red coat so because sure. he has been ordained upon in red and yeah but it's better that they follow him than nobody at all yeah but we also yeah. have we skipped over all of the examples of their dumb oh no we're getting there okay uh sorry this this conversation continues and the magician is just like yeah you wouldn't believe it they're really stupid. This is why I had to do this to him. And he's giving all these examples of, of just how dull these folk are. It's just like a few months ago, they were all for washing up the plates and knives before dinner. They said it saved time afterwards. And like, that things like That seems like a kind of thing you wish would work. You know what? What? This isn't a uh, Attacking Chris podcast. I'm just telling you, it's, it's something that you wish worked. Yeah. I, I wish it worked, too, because I don't like doing dishes and extra work after I've already reaped the reward of the work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you want me to go into all the examples, but there's several. Uh, they, they plant boiled potatoes to save time cooking them later. Yep. Like, their goal is to save time. Mm-hmm. And they have ideas. Yeah. Like, it's creative idea to be like, ooh, but if we plant a cooked potato... Yeah. Maybe it will grow cooked potatoes. Uh-huh. Yes, it's dumb, but also, like, it's literally a world with a magician. If he wanted to make them the rules, yeah. those could be the rules. We, this is a world where we had a toffee tree. Yeah, this is a world where we had a toffee tree. <laughs> like, if if the magician wanted to allow baked potatoes to grow into baked potatoes, mm-hmm. they could, it, he could do it. Yeah. He doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and, and maybe that's cruel of him maybe to it, not, to not allow their genuine creativity to, to call it stupid mm-hmm. instead of giving it room to actually be the creativity that it is. Yeah. Maybe they're not stupid and they just like come from a world where there's no linear time <laughs> and they, they can't figure out how linear time works. Yeah. <clears throat> and so anyway, that's that's why they're so amazed by the fact that it always gets dark at night. Whoa. <laughs> water. Powerful wet stuff. Yeah, that that I can't defend that one. <laughs> Cuz like water's wet no matter what what time looks like. Yeah. Um yes, so- <laughs> but if you there isn't linear time, you don't get wet. You don't suffer from interacting with the water. You are just either always wet or always not wet. There isn't a cause and effect relationship with encountering water. Hmm. I think as far as, never mind, we're going to, I don't know enough about physics to actually get into this. It is not linear. Um, I, I think physics states that you can still have cause and effect without linear time being a thing. Uh-huh. Because that's what causality is all about. But 
Yes, anyway. but if there isn't linear time, then effects can come before causes, in which case there wouldn't be this trepidation about touching water. Yeah. Anywho, so let's... This isn't a high-level physics podcast, so let's move on. <laughs> it's a Narnian physics podcast. <laughs> which And today there are no we're rules. discussing... Mm-hmm. why water might not actually be wet. Uh, and so anyway, finally we have the duffel puds revealed. They're visible now. Magician's like, I'm going to show them to you. And Lucy goes to the window and looks out and sees a bunch of giant mushrooms. But wait, they're not mushrooms. They are, really? They're the resting duffers, and apparently they lie on their back and just have their giant feet above them. Yes. Uh, and, like, how is it that they slept when they were duffers? Before they got turned into monopods. Because, like, were they were they tiny dwarves with giant feet? Were they hobbits who slept with their feet in the air covering them? Because, like, it is literally described that they are sleeping on their backs with their giant foot overshadowing them that could protect them from the rain. Which, by the way, do you have a delightful illustration of this in your book? No, I, I only do. have an illustration of them jumping. So this is my, uh, <laughs> this is what this looks like. See, they look more like Keebler elves in your <laughs> in your book with giant, gigantic peanut shoes. Oh, they do covering them. Also, here's my illustration of them jumping, which I'm not sure is the same one that you have. That is the one that okay. I have. That's the one illustration in my chapter. Yeah. So there you go. They look more like Keebler elves <clears throat> and not big stocky dwarves. Uh, but yeah, in case you didn't know by now, listeners, uh, they are monopods. They are formerly dwarf-like creatures that now have one giant leg and a giant foot. That they hop around on, and that explains all the, uh, you know, the stuff moving thumping. about, and loud thumping, and, and all that stuff from the last chapter. And, and Lucy finds this hilarious, which, like, okay, Lucy, fine. Jerk. You know, just rude. laugh at the uh, intentionally disabled people. Sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're able. Are they more able than they were before? That's you, arguable. I mean, brain-wise, they weren't... <laughs> particularly smart before so anyway ableist yeah so we have visibilized the uh (laughs) when we're talking about brain abilities here (laughs) we've we've made them visible and the devil has figured out and they're super happy about it and then we uh go into and lucy asks if she should tell them that they're they're not ugly Mm-hmm. that what they are is great yeah and the magician says maybe maybe that would do some good they're like they won't listen to me they won't listen to me i'm not gonna bother like but maybe if you tell them yeah Jesus, also <laughs> that they have potential we established they... that she's the holy spirit she can't be jesus well it's what you are whatever <laughs> anyway um so she goes down and tells them, "Oh, you're great, you're beautiful," and the and the all of the duffers are going, "Yes, yes, right, quite right." She she spoke it very well, and then the chief voice goes, "No, she's saying we were so great before. Now we're so ugly, and it's such a shame that you can't see us in all of our glory." Mm-hmm. And they go, "Quite right, chief." And she says, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that right now you're great. And they're like, oh, she said it. Such, such, such well-spoken. Yes, very, very good. Yeah, it's really dumb back and forth. And then he says no, and she says yes. And they say, yes, we understand that you're saying the opposite of each other. And that's quite well-spoken. Keep going, keep going. Yep. So it's, it's like a bad Abbott and Costello routine. Yep. Just like... I do want to jump back a little bit, though, and point this out, because Lucy's like, what were they like before? And the magician says, common little dwarfs. So we establish that they are... Common little dwarfs, not like your dwarves in yeah. Narnia. Nothing so nice as the sort you have in Narnia. Yeah. That's what he says. And then Lucy is, again, like a real jerk, and is like, it would be a pity to change them back, said Lucy. They're so funny. Yep. And they're rather nice, because you know what? In Lucy's opinion... Totally okay to magically change somebody's uh, whole anatomy if it's funnier this way. Well, it's like you it know. would be a pity to change them back to being normal. <laughs> you know. <That's> just... <laughs> Lucy wants to be beautiful, so. Yep. But right now she's funnier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's like a that's like an xy diagram where like if you if you get more beautiful you get less funny i mean <laughs> i'm not gonna say that i have empirical <laughs> evidence to support that but <laughs> anyway uh so moving on we have this really dumb back and forth conversation that doesn't go anywhere and then something happened to make the monopons even more satisfied with their condition yes. as i said in my summary and for whatever reason reap a cheap is just like hey your feet are canoes <laughs> yeah that happens it's we like, should get you some boat shoes. Apparently, Reaper Cheap thinks that this would be funny uh, as well, or at least it says Reaper Cheap had a brilliant idea. Yep. And he gets them all together and is just like, "Hey, so your feet are big enough to probably act like boats, and if you jump on the water really lightly, you could probably float and like sail around." Which I don't feel like this works from a physics standpoint at all, but yeah, oh well. Yeah. Well. Um, it's Narnia. <clears throat> and apparently it works, and they he they teach the monopods how to boat themselves. Yep. And they can use their feet as little rafts, and they can paddle around the bay. Yep. And the, you know, also like a bunch of just like, find me a good word for mean people that I can use on this podcast. <laughs> jerks. What? Yeah, I keep using the word jerks. And find me another synonym. Oh. Um, <sighs> um turds. Yeah. Sure. Uh. Went to turds. The the crew of the Dawn Treader uh, thinks this is incredibly amusing, and it's just like you know what we're going to use these poor malformed creatures for our own amusement and get them to do races for us, and we're going to give them alcohol as a reward because like what's funnier than like drunken one legged dwarves paddling around the bay, <laughs> and like they just have this a great deal about, of fun. Like them finding <laughs> themselves. This isn't about like your your. You know what. I, you wish that you could have a have just the ability to go boat out on the water without having to get a boat. You wish. Uh, I don't think I've ever had this fantasy, but maybe. I guess so. Uh, but however, the Duffers also very pleased with their new name of monopods. And yeah. this is where we get the name Duffelpuds because they can't remember how to say monopods. They're monopods. Mm-hmm. Or pominods. Pominods. Or potty-mons. Potty-mons. They're Duffelpuds. Yep. Which has the same number of syllables as monopods, so why they can't pronounce the other one correctly, I have no idea. You know, I but... know lots of words that have the same number of <laughs> syllables that are difficult to pronounce. Monopods isn't hard, though. Yeah, but I'm telling you. Uh-huh. They were the Duffers for a while. Yep, and so. so we have a great time with the Duffers. And then at the end of the evening, all the Narnians go back to the magician's house. They have a grand old dinner. They talk to the magician a bit, and they end up making a magical map of all the places they've been so far. Yes, the magician asks Drinian to describe things, and his magical pens create two copies of a map, Mm -hmm. which is extremely detailed in the parts that Drinian saw, but it's restricted to the areas that Drinian saw because of magic. Yep, so we don't have full coastlines of any of these islands, really. Yeah. But this is the only map that we know of that exists of this part of the world and so far. And it's the best so. map <laughs> that was made not with with Matt like even since ever since. Uh, so yeah, the we establish a map here. We give one to Caspian, which he still has to this day, and magician can't tell him anything about what's further eastward. Like that seems to be a running theme. It's just like, yep, this is as east as I go. Yep. However, he does tell them that years before a Narnian ship had put in. And we establish a very important piece of lore here because yes. the magician says she had on board Lords Revillian, Argos, Mavramorn, and Roop. So they judged that the golden man they had seen lying in Deathwater must be Lord Restamar. And we also established that all the lords were on the same ship. Yes. Which raises all sorts of questions. Uh, Why? About what happens previously. Well, well, I, well I mean, like, mm-hmm. I told you that I assumed they were all on one ship. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, but why didn't they do anything about... The dragon? Yeah, like what one of the lords rides off and turns into a dragon. They and assumed he got eaten by the dragon. They assumed he got eaten. And then the you know the next one, what's the other one? Uh, well, we have Burn, who just tops off and is just like, nope, we step. We get to the first island going east, I'm stopping here. I'm and done. then we have Octessian with the dragon. With the dragon. And then we have uh, Restamar. Who's who gets dead turned, in the water. Who gets turned to gold. Yeah. And which... they're just like... 
can't do anything about that. Yeah, and so maybe they did the same thing that Caspian did, where they discovered, oh, shoot, like, we're going to have a problem if people realize they can turn stuff into gold. We should just move on. Yeah. I do, I, I find it interesting that, like, other than the lords left behind, the crew doesn't find any sign whatsoever of this ship having been here before. Like, there's no markings, there's no, like, hey, Restamar was here thing. There's no... Yeah, there's no big sign that says yeah. Lord Octessian was lost here. Yeah, there's no memorials, there's no, like, previous camps that they had established. Like, there's just nothing at all from this previous expedition mm-hmm. that they find evidence of. So I find that intriguing, that they, they passed without trace, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, we know the identity of the gold dude... And then the magician magically mends the stern of the Dawn Treader that got damaged. So, hey, the ship is whole again. Huzzah. And then they they head off and the Duffelpuds cheer and the chapter ends. And why did we spend three chapters talking about this dumb island when there's not even a lord here? Three chapters (sighs) of 16. So almost a solid third of the book was spent with the Duffelpuds. Redo your math there. Three chapters of 16, which is almost... A third of the book. A fifth. Three chapters of 16, which is 20% of the book almost. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to quote Steve. Friend of the podcast. The reason this book is dumb. Duffel puds. Yeah. Now, that said though, we have continued continued your theme where you said each of the islands uh, is somehow... That one. That we had seven named characters, and each of these islands representing one of the seven deadly sins, or whatever it may be, that we have each of the characters having a little thing on the island, where we had Caspian on the first island, Mm -hmm. we had Eustace on Dragon Island, we had Edmund on Deathwater, Mm -hmm. and we have Lucy here with the Duffelpuds, where she has this whole thing. Yes. Um, Can't wait for that Rince chapter. We still need Drinian Reap and Rince. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'll be really sad if Reaper Cheeps is going to be like him trying to push the, the sea serpent. And that was Reaper Cheeps whole thing. Being like, push the sea serpent off of the boat. And then he doesn't actually get him. Well, Reaper has his own prophecy. So like, if that yeah. doesn't get fulfilled, like that's just dumb. And... Yeah. So with that, I mean, like we can keep, keep looking out for that, but we definitely have, Spent a lot more time on Lucy's section uh-huh. than we spent on some of the others, but Eustace got two or three chapters. He got two. And that's that was my biggest issue here, is just, like, we have this, like, I I, I, I don't want to use the word beautiful. Uh, there was this well-written uh, kind of redemption and rebirth story with Eustace and the dragon that's, like, kind of good writing. Uh and then and that we have takes, Lucy just being interrupted by the narrator the whole time. And that takes two chapters. And then we spend three chapters on whatever this is. and <laughs> Whatever this is. And what's the moral here? Like, what are we supposed to get out of this entire section with the Duffers? Like, what have we learned? What What's the... To be happy as we are. <sighs> I guess. To listen to magicians that tell us to get water out of the river. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, we we dove we dove into a lot of the metaphor and like you could do the whole tree of knowledge thing, and like the Garden of Eden and them learning stuff. And but we also have this whole vanity theme where Lucy wants to be beautiful yes. and she wants to know what people think about her, and the Duffers want to be back to their old selves, even though their old self like they're all just stupid anyway. So yeah, all they care about is their appearance and being lazy. Uh huh. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I guess it's good if you're trying to tell a fable and you want some sort of interesting little morality thing in there. It's bad storytelling if the point of the book is this adventure where you're trying to find the seven lords of Narnia. Yeah. Because if you're spending 20% of the book on an island where none of them even are. Yeah. That's, you're shooting your own plot in the foot. Yeah. I mean, that's more than if each lord got an equal portion of the book. Yeah. So, I didn't like, I didn't like this whole section. I know. Like, I think the duffel puds are dumb. Yeah, but you really liked the, like, the intensity of the last two chapters where you're like, oh, like, there's our, like, 
monstrosities and you really liked what was building up to it's just the resolution of it that (laughs) you are upset with the resolution was kind of terrible So that being said, do you want to go on and, and go into our rewrites and try to tell a better story out of this? Uh, sure. This mess. So the next segment in our podcast, as we go through, we also pick at, as we read through the chapter, we also select five sentences out of the chapter and try to tell a new story with the chapter's own words. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call this Narnia chopped and screwed. Sometimes we also call it rewrites. And uh, was it Narnia Soup Kitchen or uh, Narnia Narnia Fusion Buffet Buffet. (laughs) Soup Kitchen? Yeah, sorry. The Narnia Melting Pot. Yeah. The Narnia Patchwork Quilt. Yep, all these things. Anyway, would you like to go first since I read my summary first? Sure, I'll read my rewrite first. Yours is very short. No, said the magician. They are very stupid, but there is no real harm in them. All in good time, Coriakin, said Aslan. The magician sighed. But I don't think you are at all, said Lucy, shouting to make herself heard. They are. So this is just an argument about stupidity. No, it's an argument about harm and danger. Like, are they dan- Are they dangerous? They will be dangerous one day. Okay. No, okay. I don't think you're dangerous at all. Lucy shouting to make herself heard. Yeah, okay. They are. I getcha, I getcha. Yeah. It's a a simple little... I mean, it goes more in line with the tone that you were claiming the previous two chapters had. Yeah, I I wanted it to go that way, but, you know, it's a children's book, so... You know, so we should just have people turn into dragons and eat each other, and we should have people touch the water, and we should have people want to kill themselves. Yeah, Family-friendly stuff. But we definitely can't have dangerous monopods wandering around. No, that would, do, that would be too much. Yep. Uh, so here is my rewrite. I will say the spell, said Lucy. Oh. Yeah. You're that was that was the old. That, I was in the wrong. Yep. Turned to the long I'm wrong like, page. That, that's anyway, not right. you can cut that off. I was like, yep, that does make sense. Anyway, this is my rewrite for this chapter here we go well that's a rather delicate question said the magician they were the first maps ever made of those seas and better than any that have been made since without magic many stars will grow old and take the rest in islands before your people are ripe for that it worked perfectly are they as stupid as all that asked lucy Okay. So my idea was uh, them coming to this island and finding the magician and being like, what's further east? And he tricks them into going off to the east for whatever reason. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I had yeah. trouble tracking with that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it was trying to make something happen with it, but okay. it, was, it was turning the magician into... Uh, a little more ominous figure. An ominous figure. Like I was as well. Yeah. We both want the, magi- ma- the magician to be a baddie. Yeah. Um, which is a nice segue into my baseless speculation segment, so... Tell us more. In this one... segment. In this one, uh, prior to doing this podcast, I had never read any of the books, save for Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and for the most part, I don't know what's going to happen in them. And so, I like to play around with it, and just go into baseless speculation about what might be coming next. And in the last book, that was really difficult as we got further into it because a lot of the plot lines uh, just started wrapping up this one it's much easier like this one there's still like lots of stuff that i can do even though we only have four chapters left in this book to read yeah um and i still want to six uh five five chapters and i want to go back to my my running thing of all the islands being one of the seven deadly sins and this one is still giving me a lot of trouble Mm-hmm. because I really want it to be Envy. It's it's a stretch to make it work, though, because all the other ones have been so easy. Like the Dragon Island being Pride, uh, super easy. Like the island with the Slave Masters being Sloth, super easy. Like the thing with the gold, obviously Greed. Like that works so well. This one is like trying to get your foot, your oversized foot into a very tiny shoe. Yep. Like it's it's a stretch to get there. But I wanted to approach it from a different angle. And my angle is this. 
in that what if Kariakin isn't on this island, um, you know, just to nurture and grow and make wise the duffers and you know aslan put him here as like this this fatherly figure to watch over them and to uh to help them evolve what if this is kariakin's punishment hmm. what if kariakin is like because we have we have established that uh you know there's always this very dark element to magic and especially powerful magic users in narnia and it's something that is a very easily corrupting force and it's something that it's very hard to overcome and be like someone who uses magic for good and we establish here that karaikin is a very powerful magician in fact he is in terms of things that he's capable of and like spells and whatnot you know i think the only one that's more powerful that we've ever seen in narnia is jadis Okay. Uh, and so he's obviously very powerful. So what if we reframe it as, you know, when Aslan comes in at the beginning of the chapter and it's just like getting frustrated with your charges yet. What if this is Aslan just taunting him? And, you know, this is this is some sort of eternal punishment is that he was this great magician and all had all this power and like had all this wisdom and now has to spend centuries looking over the most stupid creatures on the planet and keeping them from killing themselves so is this is this hell yeah is this is this like some sort of sisyphean punishment for him where he's just like he has to do the same thing over and over and over again and just drive himself insane like what could it be something like that Mm -hmm. and and if it were what would that say about uh this island being representative of one of the sins and does envy still fit into that? Because if we're going to stick hard to our definitions of the previous islands, for this one, we still have envy, wrath, uh, gluttony, and lust. And I don't know. Could gluttony fit into it? Maybe. It's like the some of the a lot of the stuff we see uh, Karayakin doing here involves food, and involves you know providing and like things of plenty and using magic to create and to prosper and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't, I don't really feel like it fits there. Uh, lust. I think that'd be more of a stretch. I mean, they are lusting for their former glory. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I still, I still want to say envy. Why are you still including this in your baseless speculation? Like, because because this chap this this whole thing and this is part of the reason why I dislike it is this whole thing has broken me. Um, uh, I see. And what I really and what I want to do, and that's going to throw my whole theory into into whack, and I'll have to you know into whack, out into of whack, whack, and I'll have to and I'd have to rewrite all of it. But what I want to do is say that this is pride. Okay. And if this is. And if it's accurate that Kraken is being punished here, it makes a lot of sense. Where, like, this is the fall from pride. Like, he was this great and powerful man. Like, who knows what his life was before this. But, like, this is him being humbled. And, you know, the first line that he says to Aslan here, the first line he says in the chapter is, welcome to the least of your houses. Yeah. Like, this is his humility. This is him having fallen and having to, uh, you know, care for, like, these really, really dumb things which is, like, one of the most humbling acts he can do. And so I'd really almost want to make this one pride, which we'd have to then rework what Dragon Island was. Yeah. And what is Dragon Island in that case? Well, my question would be, what if the Lone Islands was not sloth, but lust? Because we had Vern stay there because of a woman and not continue on on the journey. Yeah. And if we focus on that and and say, like, this, this kind of lust for life as opposed to maybe necessarily a sexual lust, but, uh-huh. like, this lust for power, this lust for 
whatever, like this temptation of Caspian to stay there and rule and protect and be everything that they need. Yes. This lust for power in a very Morazian way. Yeah. Then we have sloth available for this island. We do. I'm saying that this is sloth is very, you know, very, I, I feel like this is in line with sloth. Yeah. Because like... A lot of the examples of the Duffers being stupid is them basically being lazy. Yeah. Or them doing too much work when they should be doing an easier way and they just don't want to listen. Yeah. And they just want to keep doing things the way they've been doing it. Yeah. That could be a thought. I don't know. I, I, I might I might ask you to spoil some things for me. Like, not spoil some things for me here. But I know you have done some research and looked into other people that had this theory. Mm-hmm. So most, without... most of them say that the Lone Islands is lust and not sloth. Okay. What, are them, what do they say this one is? Um, I don't know. I, ha- I would have to go look it back up. And okay. I was having trouble finding it while you were talking. Okay. Because I'd be curious to look into that. Because it's like, this one is perplexing me. Yeah. And it's really hard to fit into any particular mold. Yeah. Uh, but I really do like the idea of this being a punishment for the magician. Yeah. And so as far as where the story is going, uh, just looking at some chapter titles here. We have the noises. Dark Island next. So we chapter have... 12 was what we're going to discuss next week. The Dark Island. The Dark Island. Which that could be a wrathful title. That could be, who knows. Then we have The Three Sleepers. Hmm. The Beginning of the End of the World. The Wonders of the Last Sea. And The Very End of the World. Yep. So we'll, we'll see where we go. So we have... Uh, we do have five chapters left in this book. Yeah, we I got... genuinely thought that Eustace stayed a dragon until the Three <laughs> Sleepers chapter. Very much no. <laughs> uh, so we have five chapters left. We've got four lords left. At least when they left this island, they were all still together. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see if uh, any of the rest of them are still alive, or if Burn is the sole survivor because he's the one that got off at the first stop. Yep. He was the smart one. Uh <laughs> But yeah, I'll keep chewing on this. I'll keep reworking my idea. I'm committed to making this work, but uh, yeah. Okay. That's what I got. There you go. Cool. Huzzah. Hmm? We got it. We got to get an envy, a wrath, and a gluttony in there or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to share with us your rewrites, your theories about the seven deadly sins, or your uh, fan art of Kariakin in his big red robe and his bare feet, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also support us on Patreon if that's something that you want to do because you're cool like that. And you can do that at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. And if Chris and I ever have a gap in our schedule with our new jobs long enough, we will actually record our Hobbit episodes and put those on the Patreon. Hooray. If that ever happens, we will let you know. Yep. We've been talking about doing that for a month now. Yep. <laughs> we'll get there. And uh, Chris, you want to plug your D&D podcast? Uh, sure, I can do that. I run a live play D&D podcast uh, with like half the party being first timers, and it's great fun. And it's called Carpe DM, DM, or just letters because it's a pun. Um, <laughs> all right. Whoa. And I regret that name choice now since I have to explain it every time because it's really hard to Google otherwise. Yep. yep. So if you want to listen to that, go for it if you're into tabletop games. Uh, but yeah, take us out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Always go about in your bare feet when you're on carpeted surfaces so that you can be quiet. And people won't know if you're sleeping or walking around. Or sleepwalking around. Huh. And, uh... Don't plant your cooked potatoes. Don't plant your cooked potatoes. (laughs) And if a cat gets into the dairy, get the cat out. A lot of wisdom in this one. A lot of of good wisdom here. (laughs) Don't wash your knives before you... Yeah, see? Like, this is is the book of parables. This is is Proverbs in Narnia. Oh, man. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Next week we will read chapter 12, The Dark Island, and discuss that. 
So until then, ciao. Adios. So we have vis visibilized the. Uh, when we're talking about brain abilities yeah. here. <laughs> no, that I also really want to be funny. <laughs> it says many stars will grow. Let me see if I can say that correctly. L, L sounds are hard for me. Yeah. Hey, your feet are canoes. <laughs> to do your nails every time we do the pop. This is a compulsion for you now. Santa? <clears throat> Sorry. This isn't a high-level physics podcast, so let's move on. It's a Narnian physics podcast. <laughs> Which, and there are no And today we're rules. discussing <laughs> why water might not actually be wet. fun little treasure for somebody to discover. You later. tried to do it in one of my notebooks that is not, in fact, a rip-outable page book. It wasn't spiral-bound. It wasn't... It wasn't... It was, how? They're not even perforated. What? Why? I'm sorry. How dare you, sir? How dare you?